David, a nation after God's heart. This is part two. It's about doing the right thing, but the wrong way. In chapter six of Second Samuel, it says, After David had gathered all of the choice men of Israel, 30,000, and David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal Judah to bring them up from the bring them up there with the ark of God, whose name is called by the name, the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. And so they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ohio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, accompanying the ark of God. Ohio went before the ark. Then David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord and all kinds of instruments of wood and harps and string instruments and tambourines and sistrums and cymbals. And when they came to Nahor's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah and God struck him for his error and he died there by the ark of God. And David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah. And he called the place Perez Uzzah to this very day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, how can I take the ark of the Lord come to me? And so David basically put the ark on hold, put it in a guy named Obed-Edom's house for three months. And then David found out what happened and what took place. And then he came back to get the ark. And then he proceeded back into Jerusalem with a great celebration that took place. You see, David is now the official king of all of Israel. As verse 10 of chapter 5 says, he became great. One of David's first acts as the king was to take the city of Jerusalem and make it the capital of the empire. Jerusalem was a well-fortified city, was sort of conquered by Joshua, but they never really drove out the Jebusites. So they lived amongst Israel all these years, fortified themselves until David came in. And in David's opinion, the best place to be the capital would be Jerusalem. And once taken by David, he built a palace on Mount Zion. Mount Zion was like a suburb of Jerusalem. It was a mountain that's a little smaller that butted up next to Mount Moriah, which Jerusalem was built upon. Mount Zion also is called the city of David. So when you see those two names interchanged, it's talking about the same place. David now wants to move the tabernacle to the capital city. Not only all the furniture, the skins, the makeup of the tent, and so on and so forth, but the Ark of the Covenant. The most holy of all relics in the tabernacle. It's a relic today that if it was found, it would truly be the most important find and religious relic of all time. But here's what took place about 100 years before this occurrence even happened in 2 Samuel. The nation of Israel was not doing good in their relationship with God. It was a time of the judges, and basically everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. There was no one looking to God, so as Israel was warring against the Philistines, they went out. But the Philistines gave them a major beating. Over 4,000 Israelites were killed as they retreated back to regroup. As they talked strategy, there's some guy came up with a great idea about let's get the Ark of the Covenant to go before, before us in the battle. Everyone thought, what a great idea that was. They all agreed. They all got pumped up. The presence of God is going to go with us before our battle. We're bound to win now. Well, the next day they marched out with the priests carrying the Ark into battle. 40,000 Israelites were defeated and killed. But not only that, the Ark of the Covenant was taken captive by the Philistines. Well, you see, all the Ark of the Covenant was to Israel at that time was this giant religious rabbit's foot. It was their lucky charm. They forgot the holiness of God, that they can't live disobedient to him with the very tablets that were inside the Ark 
than to expect God to be powerful in battle on their behalf. And so it was. The Philistines took it captive. They took it to their, to their god, Dagon, and put it in their temple there. But as they put it in their temple there, the next morning they found out that Dagon had fallen off his pedestal and was flat on his face in front of the Ark of the Covenant in a worship kind of position. They may have captured the Ark, but they haven't defeated God. And then the next day, the same thing happened again, but this time he lost his head. He lost his arm. He lost his leg. And now, as plagues started coming up on the nation of the Philistines, this, these tumors, these physical tumors were coming out upon them. And instantly, is, the Philistines realized there was judgment that was upon them because of the ark. So they took the ark to another city, but those same tumors began to break out on the people of that city. And they do another city, and that broke out. And then the other city says, do not bring it here. So they decided we got to get the ark back to them. So they put the ark on a cart and put two milking cows, and they headed them towards Israel, and those two cows started marching towards Israel. When they got into Israel territory, Israel celebrated. They took the ark of the cart, they took the ark off the cart, they broke up the wood, and they sacrificed the two milking cows, and then some guy came up with another bright idea about let's look into the ark of the covenant, see if the Ten Commandments are still there. Everybody agreed. And once again, with it, everybody thought it was a great idea. So they lifted up the mercy seat. And you know what happened in the Raiders of the Lost Ark? Well, it happened here in the Bible first. Over 50,000 men died. And we understand why today. Because no one can face the righteousness of God and his word without the covering of the mercy seat. There can only be judgment apart from the mercy seat that God has provided for us in the person of Jesus Christ. There's only one mediator between God and man. It's the man, Jesus Christ. The lid, the mercy seat, was between the law of God and man. And man cannot approach the righteousness of God outside of Jesus Christ, the mercy seat of God. That's what it represented. So the ark was taken to the home of Abinadab after these 50,000 men had died. And there it was to remain for the next 20 years until Saul became king. But Saul didn't have much to do with it, so it kind of remained ignored for the most part. But now that David's king, the whole focus is on the Ark of the Covenant. So David proceeds from the house of Abinadab and put the Ark on that new cart. And from there, they went towards Jerusalem with the sons of Abinadab, Ohio, and Uzzah accompanying the Ark of God. Ohio is up in the front of the Ark, leading in front of the oxen that is pulling the cart. And Uzzah is in the back, making sure everything is okay with the cart. David doesn't invite all of Israel out for this occasion, only 30,000 of the choice men. He invites the power brokers, the politicians, and the leaders of Israel. All of Israel of influence was there to witness this incredible historic event that was taking place at this time. I mean, in, in 1 Chronicles 13, it says that David and the people were playing instruments and singing and dancing in this procession, as it says here in 2 Samuel. We're getting back to God. We've been away from God. We've been in limbo for so long. Praise the Lord. This is a great day. And you have 30,000 people singing, dancing, jumping, music blaring over the countryside. Everybody's focus is on God. Every heart, every, everybody's heart is pure at this time. Everybody's, you know, is conscious of the very fact that this is for the Lord. This is for God. They were so sincere of heart. But there's a problem. That all the excitement and joy centering or cheering and centering on God can't change the problem as God looks at this scene he doesn't share in their excitement he's not inhabiting the praises of his people because in God's eyes this whole event's foundation is in disobedience to him God informed Moses how the ark was to be transported and it was never to be put on a cart it was to be carried by man 
the Levites from one place to another. It was to be carried by man. You see, God wanted that relic that represents his presence to be carried by man, for it was a type of when Jesus comes and dies on the cross, that God will set up his presence in man, and thus man would carry God in these earthen vessels. The presence of God goes forth in the world today in earthen vessels, and thus God's people are willing to take the presence in the world where it doesn't go. So you understand why we have been commissioned to go into all the nations. We carry the very presence of God, even as they carried the Ark of the Covenant. It was a representation of that. So where in the world did Israel get this idea of carrying the Ark on a cart? <laughs> well, it wasn't from those two guys that said, let's go into the battlefield with the Ark or let's look inside. It actually came from the Philistines. And understanding today, they got it from the world, bringing glory to God according to the world. So getting things done for God, making it all about God, everyone is in agreement for God, is not coming from God's word, it's coming from the world. And that's how God's people back in Israel were getting the information, is from the world. That's a needed warning to this church and to any church in the world today, that things need to be done in the way God has directed them in his word. You look at this scene that is going on in front of God, and as we look at it, we see the worship, the celebration, we see God the sinner, we see hearts that are pure, we see right and sinny, we see sincerity, we see it all. But it wasn't in God's eyes that way. It was a profane thing, which means it was a very common thing. It was a worldly thing that they were doing. So God has got a problem here, and the problem God has is this, that David's heart is right. His motives are pure. All 30,000 of these people are absolutely sincere in what they are doing. This is not willful disobedience is happening here. They all want God back in the center of their lives, of their nation. There are pure motives everywhere. But listen carefully. If God's going to allow this to go on, then for David and the whole nation, it would send a signal that disobedience is not, or send a signal that obedience is not important to God. If God doesn't step in, then the conclusion that David and all of Israel would have is that the end justifies the means. As long as you're doing a good thing, it doesn't matter if you're obeying God's word and accomplishing it. So here they are. They're going down the road there in verse 6. There's a speed bump in the road. As the cart goes over it, the ark becomes unsteady. And Uzzah does a good thing, a natural thing. He put his hand out to sturdy it. And as soon as he touches it, God killed Uzzah right there on the spot. And that will kill a party. That will kill a parade faster than anything else. No singing, no dancing, no instruments playing. A good thing was done, and now we have a dead man. And can you imagine how stunned everyone was, how confused they all were? But understand what God has done. He has publicly humiliated David before the nation. This is David's party. These are all of his invited guests to God's party, and David is humiliated before the nation. David's not in a very teachable mood right now. David's very angry and mad at God, as we read. And I mean, we've all been mad at God at times, at different times, but David is really mad. He just doesn't understand why, God, we are making this parade all about you. Uzzah didn't do anything wrong. He's protecting your Ark of the Covenant from falling down and breaking into a million pieces. And now this, and you've humiliated me before the nation. David is mad. He's angered at God. But his anger gave way to a good thing, the fear of the Lord. Because now with this fear of the Lord, David comes to realize that he has missed something here. David knows God is gracious, that God doesn't look down from heaven to find someone doing a good thing and then kill them. 
No, David knows I have missed something here. So David abandons the attempt to bring the ark into Jerusalem for three months and puts it into Obed-Edom's house. And then David comes back and he does it again. And we discover in the parallel passages in 1 Chronicles 13 and 15, between the first attempt and the second attempt, David knew something went wrong. He just didn't know what it was. Then David finds out, and he rebukes the priest. How come you didn't tell us the ark was to be transported this way? Why didn't you read the book that you're supposed to know and tell us to transport it in the way that God told us to transport it? How in the world would you allow us to attempt to put it on a cart when we're not supposed to do it that way, and the priest or the Levites are supposed to carry it. I mean, David put the responsibility flat on them, which should be. As James says, let not, any, not, not, not let many of you become teachers, for there is a stricter judgment. Can you imagine a minister saying it's okay to do something when the Bible says it's not, but because all the people are sincere and all the people's pure, and it's all centered around God, they just go, ah, let it go. It doesn't matter because you know, what the word says. Can you imagine that happening? Listen, these priests played instruments. They sang songs. They said it was a good thing to bring the ark up. You were, they agreed with David, put it on a cart. But the word of God says differently. How dare you not follow God's word and warn me and tell me, David, here is what the Bible says and how it should be done. And like ministers and priests today, it's a good thing. And God is the center and the people are into it. Who cares what the Bible says as long as it's a good thing? Listen, the lesson has a couple things here, and the first one is this. With God, the right thing must always be done the right way. It's not good enough to desire to do a good thing. It's not good enough to, to be sincere in my desire to do a good thing. Because understand, as far as motive, it is pure. They were worshiping God with all their hearts. God was a focus, no doubt about it. But to do the right thing in a wrong way doesn't make up for the pure motives, the sincere heart, the centerness around God, and so on and so forth. Disobedience is precedent over everything. It doesn't carry that at all. I, could, I would imagine David, after this time, being humiliated, which would have stuck with him. He would have never forgot that. For the next 40 years, I bet if when he came up with a great idea and he thought it was from God and the people thought it was of God and it centered around God, it was pure, it was, you know, and all that stuff, that I bet David always paused and went to the priest saying, what does the Bible say? Because it doesn't matter how I feel about this. I want to know what God feels about this because I want to do it according to his word. And if this is what I'm wanting to do is not according to his word, I want nothing to do with it. I guarantee, I bet, I can't guarantee, but I bet he did that because we know one thing that he did. He never went to the battlefield without consulting the priest before he went. Should I go or not go? And through his 40 years of reigning as king, he never lost a battle on the battlefield. He checked with God. He checked with God's word. He checked first with the Lord before he did any of those things. The second thing is this. The right way is never to be determined by man. Don't let some guy say, let's take the ark into battlefield, or let's lift up the lid and look into it, or this looks like a good way of doing it. Everybody agrees. Everybody's sincere. Everybody's pure about it. No, it sounds like a, a great idea, but pause. What does the word say? Just getting back recently from Africa, I, the, I was to teach the African pastors on giving, financial giving. And they had all kinds of quirky ways of giving. Many of the pastors never gave to the church. They just believed that, well, you know, why should I give to the church? They're going to give it back to me anyway. Some believe that whatever's left over, you give 10% to the church. Some believe that I don't really need to give financially as long as I serve a lot and give my time a lot or give my energy a lot. That kind of makes up for my finances. They had all kinds of quirky things 
about giving, but none of it was according to the holiness of God's word. They were not following God's word. And his word says that the mother load goes to the temple in the Old Testament. The mother load goes to the, the church in the New Testament. They weren't even giving to the church. They were giving to other people, giving to other causes, they're giving to other things. They were very generous and, and those kinds of things, but they weren't giving it to God. And so it was a profane thing. It was a common thing. It was a thing that they're doing that the world does. The world doesn't give to the church. Well, either they're due to Christians. They're the same way. They're following a worldly pattern in that same respect. And they did not know what God's word said. But it was interesting because at the end of the session, it was a question and answer time, and these guys wanted to know what God's word said even more about giving. They, they weren't offended by that. They go, I never knew that. I want to be able to give the right way. And just like David, David wasn't offended that his way wasn't the right way to put it on a card. He wanted to know what God's word said. And that's what David wanted to follow. So the right way is never to be determined by man. It's always by the holiness of God's word.